Welcome to another episode of Dermot Cider. I'm Neil Vate, your host. And I'm pleased as we sit here coming out of hopefully what is uh, staying at home all day to uh, have a little chat with my two best friends in dermatology, Dr. Hillary Baldwin in New York, Dr. Jim Del Rosto in Las Vegas. And uh, I thought we could kind of talk about some of the issues that we, we might see a little bit more of. And one of the things that, that caught my eye was uh, how we all deal with uh, patients of skin of color. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, skin of color issues, skin of color, you know, procedure-wise. You know, Jim, I, I'm just going to ask you, how would you define skin of color for, for your practice? I, I think it's important because when we hear the term skin of color, I think there can be different perceptions because at times if we look at programs um, and we look at discussions of skin of color, very often it's weighted to darker skin individuals. And, and that's certainly appropriate because we may have been behind in some of the education that we need on certain skin types, certain races, and certain skin colors or Fitzpatrick skin types. But I like to think of skin of color as every possible color. I mean, the three of us, we have different uh, colors to our skin, and they, we may have different responses to uh, how the sequelae of disease or what a scar looks like or whatever the, the case may be or a tendency to develop certain skin diseases. So I'd like to define it as the lightest of light to the darkest of dark and everywhere in between. For example, I think the very fair-skinned individuals are often not included in discussions I've seen at many meetings of so-called skin of color, but they are a color. And yeah, almost skin of not enough color. I mean, persistent erythema in scars or after the sequelae of inflammatory diseases, even psoriasis or, or acne where they get persistent erythema, they don't get brown hyperpigmentation. It's very problematic to some of those people, just as very dark pigmented spots are to someone that has Fitzpatrick skin type five or six. So I'd like to be all inclusive and address all of those unless any one of you best friends of mine uh, object. No, I, well, no one's going to object. Although I, I will, I will springboard from what you said about lighter skin and the caveats when you think, okay, well, it's, what's dusky and darker skin is pink and lighter skin. So, Hillary, I mean, you, let's, let's put acne and rosacea on the forefront, for example, how would we address those skin of color type issues for patients where you're, where you're back to work now? Well, you know, the, the lighter skin patients certainly have that post-inflammatory post erythema that is certainly equally as bothersome to them and lasts for an extraordinarily long period of time. And I actually don't really have a way to treat that. Um, so paradoxically, uh, the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, I've at least got something that I can help them with. Uh, for the lighter skin color patients, we're talking about cover it up with makeup until, until it all goes away. And of course, the erythema of rosacea is more noticeable. Hard to cover. Hard to cover, exactly. And and I'll ask the two of you also, and, and Hillary, go first, if you will. Just just thinking about the morphologies of acne and rosacea. I mean, are, is there really a true variant among different skin types that we're not looking over? I mean, does skin type one and two have a predilection to a, a different comedone count or such than skin type five and six? I well, don't. I'm sorry, I don't believe there, I'm sorry. I don't believe there's a a, a big difference. I think. <laughs> The difference is in um, being able to pick up erythema. Um, you know, we had a bunch of good articles now that, that very clearly show us that 
the erythema of rosacea is, is present in darker skinned individuals, it's just maybe a little bit harder to see. And maybe you have to ask more questions about symptomatology. Do you burn? Do you have stinging and burning? Do you have a sensation of warmth? Because perhaps it's, it's more difficult to pick up. But in terms of papules and pustules, um, I don't see any difference in, across the skin type, uh, the Fitzpatrick skin types, except for the sequelae. And the sequelae are PIE in lighter skin patients and PIH in scar formation and perhaps the uh, keloid formation in darker skin. Now, Jeff, what would you I say? agree on the papulopustular lesions. What's interesting, if we go back to that, that big, large community-based trial that Galderma did, that ORCA trial, uh, where they were utilizing the subantibiotic dose doxycycline, they had a very large number of patients. 20% of the patients were Fitzpatrick skin type or as the investigators. They were clinicians in practice. It, it was an IGA study. It wasn't as stringent as, as a, a pivotal trial. But there were 20% were rated as Fitzpatrick skin type four through six. So they're saying in that large group, which is about 2,000, if I remember correctly, yes. Had the they were four through six, not too many sixes, but fours and fives, uh, and they're picking up the subtlety of maybe a little bit of a violaceous hue to the skin, maybe a little bit of edema and symptomatology. That these are darker skinned individuals with rosacea, but if you look at pivotal studies, phase three studies, it's almost always predominantly Caucasian and females. Yeah, yeah. And we know that that's not the true distribution no. in the world of rosacea, but it's much easier to see, especially in the fair-skinned individuals, so it's easier to grade. It's hard and, to grade the IgA changes in darker skin, unless you have experience with it. And yeah. thanks to the older articles saying that rosacea occurs in women of Northern European descent, we have a low index of suspicion with our darker patients uh, that prevents us from being able to pick it up. Us the primary care physician and patients themselves who didn't know that rosacea was even, uh, you know, on the menu. Yeah. So take, so taking that into account, I mean, we have, you know, and, and speaking in rosacea, we have, you know, a couple of new things, a new opportunities with minocycline in a topical, benzoyl peroxide in some new topical vehicles. Are, are there going to be any restrictions on which skin types we want to use some of these therapies in? And so Jim, I'll ask I you. I don't first. think there will be restrictions on, on the skin types with, with any of these particular therapies. In fact, I'm always interested in when people say, oh, I'm concerned about utilizing a certain topical retinoid in someone who's African-American or black or has darker skin, when the reality is if you look across the board with extensive experience from people that have taught us a lot about skin color, that have used even agents that we think are more irritation, that have more irritation, they do fine. The majority of them do fine unless they have an individual sensitivity, which is no different between lighter skin or darker skin individuals when you actually look at the information. So we have these preconceived notions sometimes. So you better not use that in darker skin when in reality, that's not the case. You have to make sure they're using the adjunctive proper skin care and all the other things that are important, but right. those are important in everyone, whether they right. have- and, and of course, sunblock. Right, which goes hand in hand with all of that. Right. And and Hillary, you brought you brought up something about keloids before, uh, you know, with everything coming out of the pandemic and everyone going back to work. What what what, were you, what what are your thoughts about how we need to get patients caught up on their treatments, like keloids being one of them? 
Yeah, it's, it's been a big problem for me. I'd say about 25 or 30% of my patients are keloid patients, and they've been calling me up in panic and with lesions becoming more symptomatic and getting larger because it's been two months now since they've had an injection. And I've actually been sneaking some of them into the office because the urgent visit is in the eyes of the possessor, clearly. Um, so I have done some injections. I mean, I have patients I've been caring for for you know, two, three years, and we've had these keloids on the run, and now I, I'm just not gonna let it end up getting away from us. Or a keloid excision that I did two or three months ago that requires the adjunctive care of, of injections and hasn't been getting it. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get back to routine injections for these patients.